Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, hockey, uh, everything and anything you want for Michigan sports. Uh, you kind of dictate the topics a little bit too with your questions. Anyway, I'm the host Zach Shaw, Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Holt are on the phone lines with me. Today's show should be a fun one. I uh, got, a, got a number of recruiting questions, so we will discuss all of those. Uh, we'll also talk a little bit about Brandon Peters, Michigan's defense. Uh, they, they have a decent test against Minnesota this week. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that along with providing our predictions and insight for that game as well. Anyway, let's get started. Our first question. Sometimes we like to start it off with an off-topic one, uh, partly to get it out of the way, partly to break the ice. Uh, and, and teach teach our listeners a little bit about us. But Via Azul asked, "What is an appropriate start date for Christmas music to be played?" I'd argue it should be only be after Thanksgiving at the earliest. What are your thoughts? So we got Steve and Isaiah on the line. Isaiah, let's start with you. When Wendy, are you okay with Christmas music being played? I'm wholly in agreement with the after Thanksgiving. I think, you know, obviously shopping starts in earnest with Black Friday for a lot of people. So that should be the point when that starts. I don't think it starts right after, you know, Halloween. It's way too early. It's like, you know, it, it's miserable and rainy outside, but, it, but it's not. Oh, come on. That's what you just said. <laughs> that's I'm what you said. I'm agreeing with you, and yet you put oh, me down. Oh, I, I haven't said my insight yet. That was Vaya saying oh. that. Yeah. But oh, you guys agree? Okay, sorry. Okay, but yeah, it should it it should it shouldn't be until after Thanksgiving because that's a whole holiday in and of itself. I think it deserves a little bit of respect. <laughs> uh, like December twenty first or something. Wow, no Christmas and spirit. That, and then over on December twenty eighth, there's a, should be like a week period there, and then uh, so you can get ready for New Year's. Uh, yeah, no, I get my curmudgeonness of this just comes from the fact that it starts like right after Halloween. It's yeah. too long. It's ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't even say Halloween. I mean, I know uh, down the road at uh, it's a grocery store, whatever it is, uh, they've been selling Christmas type stuff already for a few weeks. It's like, give me a break, man. Like, come on. Like, there are other holidays. There, it's uh, it's insanity to me. And then Black Friday is. Black Friday is the worst. Black Friday is so funny. It's like uh, America in a nutshell. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, just materialistic. A few pounds heavier from like, Thanksgiving. Crazy, in, like irrational, morons, lowest common denominator people, like running each other over for a Xbox controller. Like it's just utter insanity. It's one of the stupidest things ever. Um, you know, so, I mean, I don't mind the holidays. It may sound like I hate the holidays. I actually don't mind the holidays. You get a lot of good time with your friends and family, but, uh, yeah. So Christmas, Black Friday sucks and Christmas music should be December 21st to December 28th. Black Friday. It never, I, I will not understand people's fascination with waiting in line for hours and hours to save money. When, if you think about like your, I know it's a little different cause we have, we're not like clocking in and clocking out of the office. We kind of have our own hours, but like the amount of money that you would make in an hour of work, like you'll like the Ben and Jerry's blows my mind. People wait four hours for a $5 ice cream cone. That's for free. When really, if you spent those four hours doing anything productive with your life, 
you will have earned that five dollars. Uh, but okay, so for Christmas music for me, I don't mind it earlier than Thanksgiving. Uh, partly because November is a really boring month. I mean, there's cool football games and like that's it. Like there's no Thanksgiving music. There's no like, you know, they they take down the corn mazes and the and the hay rides and the cider mills close up. It's kind of a drab month, so I don't mind it, but I don't think it should be constant. Like like if it's like snowing and you play Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas, I'm all about that. But it should not be in all the stores for two months. And in that case, so in that case. I agree with Via and Isaiah uh, right after Thanksgiving, and but like but like if it snows and you want to play some of the music, I mean what else are you gonna do in November? It's kind of a it can be a really sucky month at times. Anyways, back to football. Got a whole month left of football. That that'll be fun to watch. Uh, another question from Via. We have we have other ones coming after that. But if Peters continues looking okay and keeps showing improvement. Do you think he'll be the starter through the rest of the season, even if Spate is able to play? Or do you think a non-injured or healthy-ish Spate will reclaim the job this season? And that's kind of an interesting question. I want to get both of you guys' thoughts on this. And also throwing in the idea, because Peters is definitely going to have, and O'Corn if he ends up sneaking in there, but Peters is definitely going to have these next two weeks against Minnesota and Maryland games, Michigan, Unless something goes wrong, they should win. Uh, and they, you know, I think if Michigan is making progress, they should win comfortably. But what does he have to do, or what's a reasonable expectation? You know, supposing Spate could play maybe the last game or the last two games. I mean, what does Peters have to do in your eyes for this to be Peters' season to finish? And Steve, we can start with you on this one. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a weird spot. I would think one one thing is this. I would think that with Spate, they'd want to make sure he was a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, back injuries are, you know, there's a. I would assume there's a high risk of repeat uh, for a for somebody who maybe comes back too early from a back injury. So, <clears throat> I guess this is all provided he's a hundred percent, like legitimately a hundred percent. Like it wouldn't be a situation like last year, uh, where well, they probably. Regretted it in some ways last year too. I mean, he did. Possibly, yeah. They got. They would have gotten smoked if O'Corn had started against <laughs> yes. Iowa and Ohio State, though. So, um, I, I mean, I I under the belief that Peters is going to be the guy. I mean, here's here's my outlook on it: is at least going forward for the rest of this season. Um, <laughs> in a lot of ways, it can't get much worse than what John O'Corn was providing. So, if you're going to roll with a guy, you might as well roll with a guy who is younger and has more upside and, you know, is a guy that realistically his best football is still ahead of him. So, um, you know, continues looking okay is kind of a vague, vague statement. Um, I think it would take a, you know, I don't know. I just think if he, like, put it this way, if he played at the same level O'Corn did for the rest of the season, as long as he wasn't getting beaten and battered behind the line, uh, you know, if the offensive line crumbled in front of him and he was still healthy, I think Peters is the guy that's going to be the starter the rest of the season. Uh, again, with Spate, I don't know. I, they you know, mentioned that he might come back. I just, uh, man, a back injury is very serious. I mean, he's in a he's in one of those, like, shells. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah, care. the turtle shell brace. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I I agree. And I as far as O'Corn Peters, I mean, you're seeing you've seen Indiana, Maryland, or not Maryland, Minnesota. You see a lot of teams do this. They just I mean, you know, if you're if you're if neither quarterback is going to play significantly better than the other, you might as well go with the guy that's going to be around next season. And so Isaiah, my question for you, and you can address the first question as well, but what's what is a realistic expectation for Peters? Because he did he did well against Rutgers, but it was Rutgers, and it wasn't a game where he was really needed to make. You know, I don't think he attempted a pass over. Maybe he attempted one pass over 20 yards. Uh, I mean, what is what should fans realistically be expecting from Peters? And also, I mean, what should the bar be for him? I mean, if he throws two picks against Minnesota, do you make a switch or do you say, well, this is kind of our season this year. Let's just roll with it. Uh, I think you you just kind of roll with the punches as far as the last part. I mean, you, you don't want to – I think it was a little bit different when they took Spade out uh, briefly against Florida. You know, I don't think that was necessarily, you know, going to destroy his confidence is just to get him to settle down, uh, you know, considering everything that had gone on with the fan base and him and the media. And, you know, just that he was trying probably a little too hard to make some things happen and shut up all of his critics with Peters. I think it's a little bit different because you need him to be able to remain confident. You need to keep him in there when it's when the going does get tough. Let him try to, you know, learn from and correct his mistakes uh, it, it wouldn't be a good scenario, in my opinion, to put him in and if the going gets tough, take him out uh, because that could have, you, you know, he is young. It's kind of the same thing we talked about all before he got inserted in that you want to put him in a position to succeed. You don't want to break his confidence. You don't want to have him get shell-shocked at all. And now that he's essentially 51% the guy, You've got to you've got to let him do that. I think as far as expectations go, probably more the same. You know, if if they're able to run the ball the way that they did against Rutgers, and I mean you, that was obviously their best performance season long as far as being able to just dominate uh, in the way that they did. But you know, probably more the same, maybe a little bit more than like a ten for fourteen. You know, somewhere between. 55 and 70% passing would be phenomenal. I wouldn't say necessarily count on it, but he showed that he can make those checkdowns. He can, he's actually making reads, which is something that O'Corn was lacking. So to, to see a continued improvement in, in that light, to continue to make good decisions, and he's not necessarily going to light it up, I don't think, as far as you know, putting yards uh, on his totals and everything, but just a matter of him being able to go out there execute the offense, move it the way he did against Rutgers, and keep the defense honest in the sense that he can actually damage you with the arm. I think that's the most important thing is just to to get him in there in plays and positions that he succeeds. And as far as Spate's concerned, I don't really know because like Pep Hamilton said this week, which you know is something that I've been kind of saying all along, is Wilton has the full playbook at his disposal. Peters isn't quite there yet, but I, at the same time, I don't know that you actually take Peters out because you're giving him this shot. But when it comes to a game like Ohio State, I you know I don't really know what the right answer is because you have more of your playbook at, at the disposal if Spate's healthy. It's I I don't know that you know if, if you give them both a chance, but to me it's like you're kind of rolling with Peters now that you've got him in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. It's to me, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, maybe there's some value in in winning, you know, 10 games or nine games or 
or something, but I, I, I tend to agree. I think if you, if there's, if there's a part of this team that thinks Peters could, would, or should be the starting quarterback next fall, I think you just let him, let him learn. Uh, if things get really haywire and he's clearly not himself, then maybe you throw someone else in there. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. It's, if it, if it actually is worse, then, then yeah. But I don't think it can get. Uh, Based on what O'Corn showed against Rutgers, because I didn't think he was terrible against Penn State, but against Rutgers, that was clearly someone whose head was just not in it. They something something was really really off with how the offense was working with him at quarterback. So I guess we'll, yeah, like we talked about. That's oh, against oh, you think it's a hangover from Penn State where it's you know one guy blitzes through the line, and he's now you know freaking out a little bit. I just. I just think it was the the tipping point where it was clear he was in over his head. I mean, Rutgers, you saw how the, well the offensive line played on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he should have. It was it was painfully clear uh, that it was kind of all falling apart. I mean, that you know, the yeah. pass to Gentry, you're fumbling snaps, uh, you're sliding after you fumble the snap when actually there was like a hole there he could have gained some yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, just discombobulated all yeah it was way way mental very right yeah exactly i agree hey we got another question uh this one's about the backup defensive line uh this comes from rich m he says i don't watch games close enough to see how often they are getting in the game i do have the numbers for that in a moment but i'm thinking of kemp one four and marshall i know solomon started last game but i hope they would have a rotation similar to last year that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, he's right about that. I mean, Mo Hurst, Chase Winovich, Rashawn Gary, I think Winovich, his, I mean, yeah, that's, you know, Steve's over there chuckling because it's a pretty pretty good three-person group to have, uh, but also none of them have played less than 60% of snaps this season, and only Winovich's injury-slash-mistake-filled Penn State game uh, did anyone play less than 75% of snaps. So, I you know I I I I don't know if it's it's a if Rich and I see it as a problem. I don't think we're seeing eye to eye on that one. Uh, but Isaiah, we did hear from Don Brown this week about just about all of these guys. What what's the latest on their development? And are we should we expect to see a rotation more this season, or are they just trying to get them all the reps they can, knowing that maybe next season is when the rotation you know, the infamous D-line rotation returns? Well, I mean, Don Brown yesterday was just saying he's pleased with, you know, defensively as a whole with the second group, uh, just saying that they're, for their youth and everything, that they're they're, act, they're basically playing like veterans. Uh, I'll just keep that keep it that short, but because, uh, you know, it's it's like what we had heard earlier this year about Quiddy Pay particularly, like Brown had wanted to get Quiddy in way earlier, but Chase just refused to come out. And if you have a guy like Madison's also said, if you have a guy that's able to, you know, play at his highest level as often as as guys like Chase and Mo are able to, there's no point in in going with the rotation if they can continue to play like you know, as he says, as hard as they can while they're in. And it, it's not a knock on those second second rotational guys. Uh, but they just haven't needed them the way that you know maybe last year that you know they not to not to say that the guys last year couldn't couldn't play but you know 
Matthew Godin for Maurice Hurst. To me, that's kind of obviously a no-brainer. You want to try to get get you know change that get that in. Even even Taco to Rashawn, uh, Taco obviously came on really strong uh, as the season progressed. But you want to get Rashawn in there more often than not because he was already getting double teamed as a true freshman last year. Uh, already looked like a force like right out the gate. So it, it is a little bit different than than last year because last year you you had a really 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 talented group you know one of the best defensive lines in the country with the first rotation but that second rotation might not have been as uh, seasoned as far as you know gameplay but they had more talent whereas now you're looking kind of at even talent uh coming in behind them so there's no need to kind of necessarily you know if if everything's working, it's the same kind of argument as, uh, you know, why did Kareem Walker not play against Indiana? Why didn't he play more? It's like, well, Karan Higdon's rushing for 200 yards, so that's why. Same kind of thing at the defensive line. The defensive line's doing great with the first rotation. You can spell them when, when they need it, but they haven't really needed it. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we've seen, we have seen Quiddy Pay, especially after that Penn State game. He played a little bit more. Uh, Carlo Kemp. His he's been double digit snaps snap percentage all season, so he's he's getting himself in there. Uh, Michael Dwemfor didn't play too much against Rutgers, but but has had played a decent amount previously. Uh, Lawrence Marshall, I mean, I think he's just always going to kind of be a fill in the gaps guy as long as he's at Michigan. And so I I agree. There's no reason to take anybody out. Uh, I do think, I mean, Kemp and, and, and Pay have they they both have four quarterback pressures uh, in pretty limited snaps coming off the bench. So certainly, I mean, you'll see them more, but I, I'm with you. I mean, I think Aubrey Solomon, I think it was very encouraging for Michigan's line that he took over Brian Monet and Noah Furbush as the starting guy inside there. And I th- I, th- I think that's a really good sign for him and a really good sign for Michigan as it tries to, I mean, you know, it's hard to hard to improve like the number three defense, but you know, heading into next season, I think they're going to be in in good shape. And I, I mean, you know, yeah, you can't keep Mo Hurst on the bench, but maybe you can like last season. It's like they just had guys that that if they could have played seven defensive linemen and not sacrifice something else, they absolutely would have. So I don't read too much in the fact that they're not playing that much. I think that just means that you have three guys. Honestly, I mean, I don't know what Chase Winovich's draft stock is like, but all three could be first-round picks uh, between Gary Winovich and Hurst by the time they get to the NFL. So, I don't... It's, it's, I, it's, no, sorry. I was waiting for a oh, go ahead. to jump in real quick. It's unreasonable to hope to have they had a rotation similar to last year. Um, what about Matt Godin? You know? He was an excellent, not a superstar by any means, but a guy who, a smart, I don't want to give him all those like gritty, uh, (laughs) tangible type things, but he was though. He was sort of a a glue guy. I mean, he made an NFL roster until he got hurt. Uh, And I believe he's still on IR with the Texans. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, that's another guy. And Hurst was a junior. And uh, Winovich was his second year on the defensive line. You know, you got guys like Kemp and and Dwumfor. I mean, these guys are still young. Uh, it's only their second year in the program, and uh, you know that's it's. I think is unreasonable 
uh, to assume or, or believe that it was ever going to happen. I don't, I don't believe when we previewed the season that we ever made it sound like that the defensive line was going to be as deep as it was last year. I thought it was almost the opposite where the future of the position is bright because they have a lot of bodies. Uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about Luigi uh, Villain, who hasn't had the opportunity to play yet, but may have the highest ceiling of anybody they recruited in that class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Duran Irving Bay, uh, Phil Paya, who's still uh, practicing in the middle at nose. So um, I think that's unreasonable. Uh, I think last year's group was special. It was a mix of experience. I mean, all those guys were se- seniors or draft eligible, you know, with, uh, with Chris and, and Charlton and, uh, you know, those guys. So, you know, it's, it's a process here. These guys, you know, yeah, they've shown flashes. I know Dwumfor is a guy that we've, a lot of people heard a lot of good things about in practice a lot this year and even late last year, but you know, that doesn't mean they just walk in and, you know, can spell first <laughs> in, a, in a, in a key situation. It's one thing to throw them in there, you know, later on in the game, get them some quality reps. And they've done that a little bit with Kemp, I feel like, and Marshall, but, um, you know, not the same level as what last year was. I mean, yeah. Mo Hurst was an all play. Mo Hurst played in an all American level last year. There's nobody, there's no reserve they have on their, on their roster right now. Who's capable of being that. No, no. Yet, yet. I mean, it's that, that's where the process is, you know, maybe a couple of years down the road when these, uh, 16 and 17 recruits develop a little bit further, but, uh, well, today, look at, I mean, and, and just, not to not to cut you off, but you know, look at Hurst and Winovich. It took them until year three when they started looking like. I mean, I know Winovich was moving around, but neither one of them was a you know four star recruit, unless I'm mistaken. And they both took two or three years to get it going. And you know, guys like Willie Henry, Ryan Glasgow, I mean, even even Glasgow Taco Charlton. Too. Yeah, it's like none yep. of them none of them walked in year one or even year two. And and we're stars. Most of, I mean, Rashawn Gary might be, and maybe Chris Chris Wormley a little bit, but I mean, really beyond those two, there haven't been very many guys who were con- key, like really key contributors in their first or second year in the program. Right. That's that's important. Yeah. Think about the level Mohurst is playing at right now, and then remember that he's been here a while, and it hasn't, like you said, it hasn't been that way since he started. It, it was a prog. It was progress. It was a process. Um, you can't expect these guys to, you know, come in and, and play at that level right away. And again, even to play at a level that approaches Mo at the way he's playing right now, where they're eating away snaps. Yeah. yeah, right. You can't expect that. So, well, hope that answered your question, Rich. I mean, and it's, and it's a fair one because you see, you know, if you're not necessarily keying in on the defensive line which is hard to do i mean even when i'm watching i sometimes want to look at replays and things and so so yeah it, it i wouldn't i wouldn't read too much into it it's just they had a they had a really good first line this year and the second line is a lot younger than last year's second line so that's all anyway let's move to recruiting uh this one comes from bleed blue one uh, Steve, I'm going to the game Saturday and was wondering if any official visitors were coming into town. Uh, they're pretty pumped for the night game. Uh, do we, I mean, is, you know, every game there are visitors, but is this, I know they're trying to put a lot of stock into that Ohio State game and really make that a big visitor weekend. Is there anyone to keep an eye on this weekend or is this more of a, 
maybe a couple years get get guys who are a couple years down the road, get them an experience, get them to the game, and really more save the guys who are immediate targets for uh, the Ohio State game. Yeah, I mean, it may sound like I've like been slacking or something, but I I don't I haven't heard myself or seen any report that Michigan's hosting anybody officially this weekend. Uh, I could be wrong on that. I know Isaiah would probably be able to jump in here too. I know there, he had mentioned something a couple weeks ago to me personally about maybe the Minnesota game would, as a night game, they'd try to get some guys up. Uh, but outside of, I think, uh, there's a top 100 kid out of uh, in the 2020 class. His brother's committed to Ohio State. It's uh, Jake Ray out of Nashville. Outside of that, haven't really confirmed, like, Many visitors. I know it's been. I mean, it's been a hectic week for me personally, anyway. But either way, regardless, I, I've been around. I haven't seen or confirmed any buddy of significance that's going to be on campus at this point. So uh, it's definitely geared towards the Ohio State game, yeah. as it should be. Um, there's still a lot of big targets that haven't officialed yet that say they're going to or are planning to. You know, and it'll be really interesting to see how Michigan works it out. I think you're going to see more guys, a lot of, not a lot. I don't know how it'll divvy up, but I think you're going to see a multitude or uh, I don't know how you could describe a middle amount of numbers, uh, guys that will be on campus for officials after the season, uh, play high school playoffs, usually around this time of the year, mm-hmm. kind of throws a wrench yeah. into that stuff. So, um, so no, uh, you know, and if you're going to the game on Saturday, I would think that like, who's there officially would be like a really low on your priority list. Well, I think they were combining both. I think they're, yeah, like, no, you're not as a fan. You're not going to like hang out with these (laughs) visitors. No, I I think they knew that. I think they were just excited. I mean, you know, I know, know. I know we kind of take it for granted and I know media people love to complain about the night game, but you know, it can be, can be a fun experience. So, uh, I agree. Yeah. Anyway, um, Okay, we got a few more. Few more. Let's do let's do the broader one. Uh, this one comes from Via, who says Harbaugh's last three classes at Stanford averaged 2.8, 3.4, and 3.1 stars in our 24/7 composite. Hoke's last three classes at Michigan averaged 3.6, 3.7, and 3.6 stars. I know recruiting success correlates with winning, but with Harbaugh having a proven track record in evaluation and development. Why do you think parts of the Michigan fan base are so riled up about the 2018 class? I assume the lack of star power, um, which is currently averaging three and a half stars. And Steve, I'll, I'll mostly hand that to you. I mean, we're, we're seeing Harbaugh and Don Brown and, and some of the other coaches are going after, at least in this class, from my not so into recruiting perspective, seems like they're going after more guys that are their guys, you know, maybe they're not rated real highly, but they're from under-recruited areas and they do things that fit well in the Michigan system. Are you seeing that shift? And then I don't, I, you know, and then to the question, I guess, what what are your thoughts on, on what Vaya had to say? Uh, well, everybody always worries too much. Um, there's still a ways to go in this cycle. I think they're going to add some, some really good players to finish out here. So I think that r- average will rise up. Uh, the other thing too, I thought we touched on this a few weeks ago. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure we did. <laughs> right. Take take cornerback for instance. Um, you have Lavert Hill, who's 
arguably playing at an All-American level right now. David Long has established himself as a, a good, if not a, a way above average cornerback in his first season starting. You have Ambry Thomas, who the staff is obviously over the moon about, both defensively and now it sounds like offensively too. Uh, that gives you an opportunity to take a shot or take a, a flyer on some guys who may have higher ceilings but aren't quite fully developed, i.e. guys that aren't going to be rated as four- or five-star prospects off the bat. Uh, Jemin Green, such a good example, uh, is a guy. He is textbook cornerback for this system. Um, Sammy Faustin maybe even, might even fit it better as a guy who I think is a guy who has a ways to go but has a lot of the traits a uh, guy that could play cornerback or safety um, that could. But that, to me, that's the theme of this class so far. They still need an impact offensive lineman, or, or uh, you know, preferably a tackle. Mm-hmm. They need it. They they're going to look to take another tight end. Uh, whether they push for three, no matter what, or they just push for a few of these guys are after now, and then hold off and stay with the two they have, or what we'll see. Uh, but. You look at 16, you look at 17. There's a lot of young depth, talented, young and very talented depth building in there. It, what it, so what 18 allows them to do is take a few chances, uh, take some guys that have a little bit of a ways to go. There's not as much of a need for instant impact. Think about everything they bring back next year. Uh, you'd, you know, you can you if you can get an instant impact guy. Obviously, you're going to take him, right? There's no doubt about that. But they can pick and choose their spots this cycle. I feel like yeah, nineteen nineteen will be a little bit different. Uh, which so far so good because they've gotten uh what three three guys I would consider elite. Uh, Charles Thomas maybe on the borderline. I think he's good. Uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But um, with Hinton. Uh, Heron and and Rumler, you have three really really high level prospects. Yeah. So, you know, to me, it's more about the depth they built in sixteen and seventeen. It gives them an opportunity in eighteen to to take a Jalen Mayfield, who's a guy that you you would maybe take anyway. But uh, you know, as a guy who is not probably not going to come in and compete for the starting spot next year, uh, but as a guy whose ceiling is, as MJ would say through the roof or it is the roof or whatever the roof is the uh, ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. So that's the way I look at it. Uh, people are going to complain either way, no matter what I've resigned myself to that. It's kind of beating your head against the wall, trying to explain it to people. But I know that's the mindset uh, that they have. And uh, you look at McCune, you look at Metellus, you look at, uh, I don't want to throw Devin Bush jr. In there, but he was a three-star technically, uh, trying to think of some other guys along the line, even well, Hurst wasn't even that highly rated, obviously. Mm So I know he wasn't recruited by Harbaugh, but you know, even within the Harbaugh staff, though, they've recruited a lot of guys, Grant Perry, uh, guys who have become productive and they weren't the high. Karan Higdon wasn't that high. Higdon. Yes. Another one. Yes. Uh, you know, they, I, I believe They've done, they have enough of a track record of identifying and developing talent that's not in the top 150 or top 200 to where I think fans should be a little more understanding and patient. I mean, think about defensive backs. 
or at cornerback. I mean, Mike Zordich might be the most underrated <laughs> assistant in college football. Like they are churning out high quality play at that position year in and year out. And, uh, so you're going to question Sammy Faustin or, or, you know, Miles Sims is more of a four-star legit guy, but, um, or a German green or a German green, you know? So that's my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would tend to agree. I, I've covered basketball recruiting. It's like the same thing, you know, it's like if a coach really likes someone and they think that they can fit better, uh, it doesn't really matter what the, what the star, the star distributors say. A couple more quick, quick, we'll, ju- we'll jumble these together. Uh, a couple quick questions, but uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart, I guess at one time seemed like Michigan was interested. This uh, this question uh, seemed to be a glimmer of hope regarding him in the spring, but has that completely fallen off? And then obviously Echior, uh, you know, longtime Michigan commit, flips to Alabama. I don't think it was, I don't think anyone was caught off guard by it. But handicap for 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 our listeners, what? what to make of these two recruitments and what the takeaway should be for Michigan. Who was the first one? Isaac Taylor Stewart. Oh yeah. Uh, now nah, that ship sailed a long time ago. I'm Michigan. I don't ever really think was a much of a factor to begin with. I find it very interesting that A&M uh, picks up a crystal ball when he's got SC and Bama offers out there. It makes me wonder maybe a lot of some schools are, are cooling off on him a little bit. Uh, didn't expect that one. So now, like I said, we just talked about what three cornerback commits, maybe four, depending on what they do with German green uh, as guys that they're really high on. They'll keep going after. I think they may want one more uh, Josh Job, a guy that's still kind of out there. I, I, you know, Miami Bama, both undefeated, both undefeated, still not help. You know, Michigan worst case scenario in that regard, as far as those two teams still being undefeated, along with Georgia and Notre Dame, like those four schools are schools in Michigan. I think thought they'd be able to beat, well, not Bama, but uh, yeah. <laughs> one or three, I think the schools in Michigan thought they'd be able to beat this year in the recruiting trail, but uh, they're all undefeated or, uh, well, sorry, Notre Dame's got the one loss, but uh, all, you know, uh, playoff, contention for playoff, play- contenders, yeah, yeah. playoff contenders. So uh, with email, yeah, uh, we expected that one for a while, almost a month. Michigan had kind of already had some, Working on a contingency plan, um, definitely a loss. Obviously, uh, you know if Alabama wants a guy, he's got to be something. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, not. I think the need is that tackle, uh, an interior guy is. I think it uh, it softens the blow a little bit that he's not a tackle. So, you know, Michigan, I think was prepared to move on there quite a while ago. It was just, uh, I think maybe they put one last push into it, try to get him up for the Rutgers game. Didn't happen, obviously. So, um, so that's done. And then the, uh, is that just Bama being Bama or is there more to read into it? You know, nobody, again, nobody wants to believe you when you say things. Uh, Bama actually had the depth chart advantage in this situation. Right. (laughs) At center. Right. Because of Ruiz. Yeah. Right. Which you, again, that's, almost never the case at Alabama, uh, but they have a real hope. They ha- he'll have a real opportunity to play there pretty early. So I get it from that regard. And that's the thing he was, it was looking and trending Bama before Michigan played Michigan state before they lost to Penn state, 
you know, so the, the losses I think had minimal impact on this. Uh, it was, like I said, it was already kind of, uh, I think in our VIP notes, which I mean, they're old now, so we can talk about them. I think it was October 2nd or 3rd is when I got the heads up that this was, it was likely headed that way. So that's before they played state. Um, and obviously before they played Penn state. So uh, it was, yeah. I mean, Bama is Bama, right? I mean, that's if it's not like uh, Kentucky's calling him and say, Hey, we have an open spot at center. Mm-hmm. You should come to Kentucky. I mean, obviously the allure of Alabama plays a part in any of that type of stuff, but uh, yeah, their depth chart actually, I think, help them out a little bit in this situation. Cause I, yeah, Ruiz is going to be the center of the future at Michigan, unless, you know, something changes. So, so yeah, kind of an interesting, unusual dynamic in that regard. Yeah. Well, we got a couple other recruiting questions. We're going to go ahead and save Steve. will go ahead and answer those on the board uh, in the next couple days or, or Isaiah or myself can, but we're going to go ahead and move on to, to Minnesota and, First, I mean, this is kind of a team, you know, when I talk to other reporters and, and talk to other people that follow and cover Michigan, uh, usually you have you keep tabs on the Big Ten East teams and you kind of everyone knew kind of what Purdue was about because they played a couple uh, nationally televised games. But Minnesota is not a team. I mean, I, I've gotten a look and previewed them now, but not a team we see too much of. And. We're going to try something new this time. I generally say, what are your general impressions? I'm going to say, what is a key for Michigan? What does Michigan have to do to secure a a sound victory? They're favored by two touchdowns, but let's say they want to really just make it a, a very easy, uh, to the fans, relaxing game. What What's one key Michigan has to do knowing a little bit about what Minnesota brings to the table? Isaiah, we you haven't been able to talk for a while, so you're back. Uh, what what's what's a key Michigan versus Minnesota uh, for Michigan to to play the game better than maybe everyone expects? I mean, it sounds really, really, really simplistic, but just do the same thing that they've been doing offensively uh, this this game and like they did against Indiana. Obviously, you saw, uh, you know, you saw what. Brandon Peters gave you Minnesota is a bit of a better version of Rutgers, not in the sense of exactly the same way, but I mean, as far as like where they rank and everything, as far as, you know, defensively, I think offensively, they're a little worse than Rutgers. So they just have to continue to, to be able to move the ball offensively and, and continue their, what they've been able to do in the red zone since that Purdue game. Uh, it really turned around what they, you know, what their struggles there, even with O'Corn. Uh, pretty much automatic once they got in the red zone, starting with that Purdue game. So they just have to basically just keep doing what they're doing. Uh, And it should be, again, should be a comfortable win uh, because this is a tougher defense than Rutgers. You go from like the, I can't remember what Rutgers was ranked, I think like 43rd or something overall at the time. Uh, Now you're facing the 20th overall defense. So, if you can still manage to find offense uh, defensively, Michigan should be, you know, continue to be able to shut them down. And Steve key for you for this, for this all to go the way Michigan wants it to. I think Minnesota is a team. Michigan should be able to run the ball pretty successfully against, uh, especially if they 
play the way they did last week. Again, Rutgers caveats apply, but just strictly from an assignment standpoint, it was probably their best game they've played all year. That be you know we said it you know against that they played well against Indiana though, then they laid a huge egg against Penn State. So, but there are. I shouldn't say they laid a total egg against Penn State. It's just they weren't obviously weren't very effective. But I think that it's starting to get there up front. So I think Minnesota is another team that they should be able to run the ball pretty well against and then uh, open up the play action, see what Peters can do. Uh, but I think if they run the ball well, I think it'll be fine. I think they'll be all right this weekend. Uh, I think the defense will keep doing what they're doing. But to me, the key is to just keep running the football. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I've got my preview stories up. Pretty solid pass defense uh, from Minnesota. I mean, you know, they're like three-fourths of the way to a really great one. Their second corner isn't, isn't. I mean, it's just kind of a swinging gate now that Anton Winfield is out with injury. But uh, I, I, my key, I think, is going to be they need to contain Ty Johnson. Because I think Michigan's front seven can actually do a number on... Demry Croft, their dual threat, you know, backup quarterback. I think they can actually contain Shannon Brooks and Rodney Smith uh, and, and Kobe McCrary, their, their third running back. But Ty Johnson is kind of the wild card, and I don't think I don't think it's going to be a huge issue. We just talked about it. LaVert Hill looks like an All-American. David Long looks very good. But if they can contain him, they really don't have anything they can do on offense, in, in my opinion. Uh, that would put Michigan on its heels at all. I mean, they're, you know, they don't even have a Janarian Grant. Ty Johnson is the closest thing they have to a Janarian Grant, Saquon Barkley, uh, and he's he's really just more of a downfield receiver. So if they can stop him, no one only they have a tight end with 104 receiving yards. No one else really has anything in the passing game, and Croft is Croft is kind of like an early. Tate Forcier, Denard, like early on in their careers where he'll complete like 40% of his passes on a good day. But he, I mean, he can, if he finds Ty Johnson, he finds Ty Johnson. So to me, it'd be, it'd be containing Ty Johnson, their, their wide receiver, sophomore, got 31 catches, uh, like almost 600 yards, seven touchdowns. I mean, the entire team has nine passing touchdowns. So that should give you some perspective for how much they're they're really leaning on him to make the plays. Anyway, we got lightning round real quick, uh, brought to you by Vias Azul ninety seven. Always contributes to those. We we appreciate that. And we'll start with Isaiah. John O'Corn gets point five snaps against Minnesota. Over or under? I want to say over just because I know how Michigan operates, but I'm actually going to go under. I think it's going to be Peters the whole way. Wow. Okay. Okay. And Steve. Michigan's leading rusher gets 109.5 rushing yards. Uh, over. Sorry, okay. that would probably I took too long on that. I think that's over. <laughs> I might edit out your thinking pauses. But P, uh, Brandon Peters one and a half passing touchdowns. I'm gonna. I mean, they have they have one passing touchdown in the past month. I mean. Well, I guess I guess past three games. So, or no. No, they just have the one since Purdue. So uh, that's even more than a month. That's five weeks. So I, I'm going to say hard under. Isaiah, seven and a half different players. This is an interesting one. Seven and a half different players with a catch. For reference, last week, 
they had nine players with a catch. Uh, I'm going to go under just because of Minnesota's pass defense. I I think that the, maybe around seven about right. Okay. Yeah, they actually had ten last week, but no, only two players had more than one catch. So they were they were really spreading it around last week. Uh, Steve McCune and Gentry receiving yards versus Peoples Jones and Grant Perry's receiving yards. Which pair will have more? The former. Okay. So the tight so, ends. So hey, some to, some to watch is Peters and McCune are like boys. Like they're like really tight, so you could see the maybe a chemistry developing on the field uh, between those two guys. Kind of the same way I think maybe down the road with McCaffrey and Martin uh, are two guys huh. who are really really tight. Uh, I mean McCaffrey and Martin's friendship is what helped get Martin back involved with Michigan late in the cycle last year. So uh, those two guys are really close. Uh, I could see them, you know. I could see him trying to get the ball to his guy a little bit more, maybe than some, you know, in certain situations. Okay. Now, now you've teased the fan base, and they're going to be asking us about McCaffrey and Martin all winter. So, thanks right, a lot, yeah. Steve. Well, we <laughs> talked a lot about it. Dur- we talked a lot about it during the recruitment. It'll come back up yeah. again, though, I'm sure. Um, two and a half catches combined for Bunting, Hill, Poji, Ways, Isaac, and Collins. I think I think Nico Collins probably could get three on his own. Uh, especially if they actually can get a lead, but based on all the numbers, I mean, I don't. I, we I, has Mo Ways even gotten targeted in the past few weeks? But you know, I'm gonna say under for that. Uh, anyway, moving to the defense, Isaiah nine and a half tackles for loss by Michigan's defense. Bear in mind, Minnesota allows 3.38 tackles for loss per game. They're fifth nationally in that category. Totally. Sorry. Sorry. Thunder. Well. Not that sorry, because I sound smart, but yeah. Under. Okay. <laughs> um, Steve, 50% of snaps played by Aubrey Solomon. I think he was... Oh, well, what do you think? 50%? Oh, boy. Um, I don't know how many snaps they played defensively last week. Well, uh, last week last week he played 61% of the snaps. Okay. Uh, yeah, then if that's the case, I think it stays over for sure. I think they're trying to uh, – I think this is a really valuable period of the season for him. I think they're really trying to get him to take that next step early on. So I'm going to definitely say over. He yeah. played really well last Saturday too. I know we talked about that Yeah. Uh, I think on Monday or Tuesday, but he was very – he was effective when he was in there. So um, I think they want to keep that momentum going with him. Yeah, and I subscribe to Michigan's availability theory that the players they bring out for press conferences 100%. are are doing well in practice and are ascending ascending players, as as Harbaugh yep. likes to say. Especially if they're true freshmen. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, the only true freshmen we get are Tariq, Aubrey, and Donovan, I think, so far. Um, Ambry. Oh yeah, well he's ascending which, too. Which might <laughs> which might not happen. Which might not happen for a while. Yeah. Um, Two and a half pass breakups by Le- by Long, Hill, and Watson. I'm curious how many they have all season because I'm tempted to take the over, but I'm not quite sure where the numbers are. Let's see. They have 17. No, they don't have 17. They have, uh, let's see, 10. And then looks like David Long has two. So they have 12 pass breakups in eight games. I'll say under. I don't think Minnesota is going to throw that much even. 
So, and I don't, I'm not sure how many pass breakups they already had. So I'll say under Isaiah, 159 and a half passing yards given up. Uh, under Minnesota averages 156 a game. Michigan will hold them to uh, not necessarily their lowest uh, of the year, which was uh, against Illinois, 40 something yards, but they'll hold them under 159 unless something fails spectacularly. Yeah, I'd agree. Between having a backup quarterback who's not even he's not that great of a thrower and Michigan's pass defense holding a lot of teams to under 160 passing yards. I I'd agree with that one. Steve, Michigan will have a punt or kick return of 29 and a half yards or more. Under. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, lastly, completion percentage of Minnesota's quarterbacks is 44 and a half percent. I'm it's ambitious, Right, because not that many teams do that, but I'm going to say under, I think, between, it sounds like the weather is going to be kind of, maybe not Michigan State bad, but there's going to be some winds and some uh, precipitation, and obviously it'll be cold and dark, and throw in the fact that Minnesota's quarterback, Demery Croft, is not a, a real savvy thrower yet. Uh, I think I think that's a safe under. All right, last thing we'll do go around we'll say our our predicted game mvp and maybe a little bit of an overview of the game and then our score predictions isaiah you can start uh game mvp i'm just going to ri- uh, ride the hot hand and go with karan higdon uh he's obviously showing quite a bit and uh although kind of tempted to go with ty isaac cuz it seems like ty still always is ma- managing to get a pretty decent yard per carry, but I think they're going to ride Karan and he's going to have a big game. Uh, as far as the game overall, uh, like like I said, Michigan's just got to keep keep doing what they're doing. Uh, as as far as you know, their run pass ratio uh, continue to have success on the ground, and that should open up things in the pass. Uh, Peters has to continue to be able to make reads, hit that check down uh, like he did. Uh, think that that's uh pretty good indication that he will uh even though it was just against Rutgers the fact that he was able to go through that so uh I've got Michigan let's say and I should have thought about this before but I'm going to say uh Michigan 28 Minnesota 3 mm, okay all right Steve what do you got uh MVP I'm going to go with an offensive lineman I'm going to say Mason Cole Okay, is Michigan's. See, now that we have the PFF stuff, may be able to back that up with some. <laughs> That's true. Numerical, like, uh, you know. Um, I'll say Mason is the MVP. I think he plays well. I think Michigan breaks some runs to the left side. Um, what's the next one? Score? Uh, well, general thought on how the game oh, will go. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say ho-hum. I just think Michigan will just kind of get the job done. Um, it's year zero for P.J. Fleck. He's such a salesman. Yep. Uh, basically excusing whatever they do this year like by calling it year zero. It's funny to me. Um, when the team won nine you know, games last year, yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I know. That's what's kind of – it's it's really – it is. It's pretty funny. Um, I think Michigan – I guess they do what they need to do. Uh, I think the offensive line continues to play well. Uh, 
you know, the thing you'll look for is you know, see how the passing game continues to develop offensively. You know, defensively, you're kind of at the point where it's like when they're playing a team like this, you expect the the pattern has been they have one bad drive or they give up like one big play. And yep. otherwise, though, they kind of lock things down. Uh, and that's there's nothing about Minnesota that doesn't suggest it won't be something similar to that. So uh, it'll to me, it'll be. You know, they'll do what they need to do. They'll run the ball, and then it'll really – the question will be the one that everybody's asking is, you know, how how will the passing game continue to develop? How does Peters look? All that kind of jazz. So, um, I think Michigan – yeah, like I said, I think they win comfortably. I'm going to say 31 to – 31 to 13. I don't know what the spread is. I, I thought I think it's spread that 14 and a half or 15. Is it still? That's the first spread in like four or five weeks where I've actually felt like Man, I think Michigan should cover that. Like huh? Minnesota's good, but they're one in four. They lo- almost lost to Illinois. Uh, you know, I think there's a some potential there. I think you see the energy Michigan came out with after Peters got put into the game last week. If they can keep that energy level high um, early on and and kind of keep building off of that momentum offensively, then who knows? Who knows yeah. what we'll see? So. Yeah, my my game. Oh, I should have thought about the game MVP more. I well, since Isaiah took Karan Higdon, I will. I'll take Brandon Peters. No, I won't. Uh, now I'm now I'm waffling. It's too late. All no, right, late. all right, fine, fine. I'll stick with Brandon Peters. Although I would not be surprised if a if a linebacker had themselves a ball game. Minnesota's offensive line actually pretty solid, but I think linebackers. Michigan's linebackers will be able to sneak in there and and put Minnesota under more pressure than than usual. As for Peters, I think he'll be an MVP in the sense that people will walk away feeling more confident in him. I don't know. I I still think people are looking way too much into him playing well against Rutgers in in the limited capacity they needed him to do well. So not reading. I don't think he's going to be this this godsend quarterback where he's going to throw for 300 yards against Ohio State. But I do think he will look better than maybe the skeptic suggests in this game. As for the game itself, uh, we we kind of touched on it in the keys to the game. I mean, Minnesota's offense is really uh, just just going nowhere right now. Their their defense has a lot of a lot of veteran guys, kind of like Penn State, but maybe not as talented. You know, guys who aren't going to make a lot of mistakes. You know, they, they Minnesota routinely wins the turnover battle. They don't commit a lot of penalties. They don't make dumb mistakes. And I think that's going to allow them to hang around a little bit more. I don't think Michigan is... I think they'll they'll win comfortably, but I don't think they're going to run away with anything. And I think it'll be on Michigan to, you know, if they score a touchdown one drive, they have to come back and, and do it again. Uh, because, yeah, as Steve alluded to, I mean, Minnesota, just like any... Even Rutgers, you know, got a couple touchdowns in there off off some big plays when Michigan's defense was maybe caught off guard. Uh, Minnesota's going to have that too. I think they're going to play play a similar style of football game as um, as Purdue did, where they just really come in and hit harder than you would expect a team that's one and four in the Big Ten to hit, and they run their plays with a little bit more vigor, especially night game chance to upset Michigan. Uh, really, their their biggest game in a while, I'd say, I, maybe all season. Uh, but ultimately, it's just not a 
it's not a very talented team right now. I think they're 63rd in our team talent composite and just a lot of, lot good, of good reference. Good reference. There. Yeah. Oh, I nice. love that tool by it the is. way. It's yeah. I, agree. I, I use it in my, by the numbers story when I preview the teams each week, but uh, no, I think they're, they're pretty low there. It's just, it's not a very good team right now. They, their four wins all came against teams outside the top 90 in, you know, the various rankings. So haven't done much against anyone with a pulse. Michigan has a pulse. Say what you will, but they're not a bottom 90 football team. So I'm going to say Michigan 20. I'll add three three points. I'll say Michigan 27. I said 24-10 earlier today. But Michigan 27, Minnesota 10. And moving on to 7-2. and two, And I guess that would make them 3-6 and six against the spread. I did have them at 24-10, which would make be another loss against the spread but i think i think i'll take the points here anyway that's going to do it for the wolverine 24 7 podcast be sure to check out all of our stories we've got tons of stuff uh lots of stuff coming on in the next couple days for basketball and hockey as well but check it all out michigan.247sports.com for isaiah hole and steve lorenz i'm zach shaw this has been the wolverine 24 7 podcast hope you had fun hope you learned something and we'll see you next time